We'll just ask you questions as we yeah. go. Yeah. yeah, and everybody's probably, they're probably familiar with you and your channel and Gentleman's Zed and probably Fort Belvedere, but they maybe they haven't heard a lot of like the, how, how you grew up and behind the scenes stuff. So that's what we like to get into. Mm-hmm. All right. Cool. My ass was slapped and. <laughs> <laughs> so what's, what, what type of, uh, like what should I say, founder of Gentleman's Gazette, founder of Fort Belvedere? What, what do you yeah, do? founder of Gentleman's Gazette in Fort Belvedere. Okay. That won't ever change. Okay, cool. So that's yeah. a good. All right. <laughs> cool. Today on the Buttoned Up Podcast, we have Sven Raphael Schneider. I almost forgot the last name. I'm going to start that again. <laughs> <laughs> Sven Raphael Schneider, right? It's not Raphael Sven. That's right. All exactly. Right. Yeah, my, my parents are um, German and Brazilian, and the Brazilians would have had an issue with saying Raphael Sven Schneider, so they just put my name as a first name. But I never actually was called Sven by anyone other than Americans because they have this first, middle, last. Ah. So the big advantage is if I get emails from people and everything. If they call me Sven, I know they don't know me, and I stop reading. Ah. Well, I was going to cut this out, but I think that's a great I explanation. I think we should keep it. I've, yeah. I've had people ask, actually, like if they're like, so is it Sven or Raphael? I'm like, well, his friends call him Raphael. <laughs> Myself included. Yeah. So, yeah. It's it's great people call you up, you know. They don't want sales call stuff. I know right away. Yeah. Goodbye. It's like you don't watch the YouTube channel out there. <laughs> yeah. Right. You, you don't yeah. You're not who uh, who you say you are, so Right. All right. So well let's start out with, with where you grew up and how you came to be an internet personality. All right. I grew up in Germany, small town of Schwäbisch Hall in North. Baden-Württemberg, which is a state, um, most Americans know Bavaria. Mm-hmm. This is a state right west to it. And uh, people probably know Porsche and Mercedes. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a small town. I grew up, there were like cows behind my room. And uh, yeah, that was about it. Quite unspectacular. Hmm. So like how small are we talking? 3,000 people. Oh, okay. Really small. 3,000 people. It was a town. And you picked a small town in the States later on too, so... Absolutely, yeah. I'm in <laughs> Minneapolis now. It's like a little podunk town. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, I mean, you grew up, and then what brings you to the States? Like, what's your education like? Actually, I went, I went, um, I didn't know, well, I went to, in Germany, it's a high school system, and you have to go to what is called a gymnasium, and only if you graduate from there, you can go to college. And traditionally in Germany, you didn't have, like, the undergrad-grad system, but you had just like a grad system. So you would go from high school directly to law school. Hmm. I wasn't sure if I wanted to go to law school. I also applied at um, Lufthansa to become a pilot. And they have a pretty rigorous test, but I I didn't make it because in one of the role-play games, I took a stance and it was too surprising for others. Hmm. And they didn't want pilots who stun others unexpectedly. Hmm. And so I went to a law school in Hamburg and I, I hated it. But I um, came to the U.S. because of it as part of an exchange. I've never been to the U.S. before, and I wanted to go. And so that's what I did. And then I met my now wife at a Halloween party. And I came back in 2009 and um, finished my studies, got a master's of law degrees at the University of Minnesota, and then just stayed. At this Halloween party, what were each of you dressed as? She was Moulin Rouge. Um, I was a pirate. 
And we were both hammered. <laughs> <laughs> like a like a Jack Sparrow pirate or like a cheesy like a You know, at the time it was actually quite funny because you know, I, I didn't buy a costume really. I had this polo Ralph Lauren shirt that was like a like a rugby shirt of a thicker material and it had like a polo Ralph Lauren logo on it, but it was kind of painted on it. So it looked kind of like piratish and I just got a hat, you know, eye flap and kind of a something that I threw around my shoulders. And DIY. That was about That's it. Good. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I was a poor student. I, um, I only came to Minneapolis because um, originally I wanted to go to New York or the West Coast because that's what Europeans know. Mm-hmm. They have no idea about Minneapolis. But when I looked at just the dorm rates and book costs, it was not in the cards for me. So I said, "What um, place has a big university?" Because I went to a small one, so I wanted big. I wanted an airport, and I wanted cheap. So I could travel, stay with friends while I was there. Because I didn't know if I would return to the U.S. Because for Germans, the U.S. is expensive. And so, yeah, that's how I ended up there. So being in the law space, is that what introduces you to more menswear? Or how does, how does that thread start out? Actually, yeah, the, the first, my parents are not into clothing at all. Like as a kid, I would, you know get the jeans that were in sale or hand-me-downs from other people and I didn't mind you know other people had the cool Nike Air Max or Shaq Reeboks Mm -hmm. I had like the you know Adidas that were on sale for like 30 bucks which in Germany is pretty cheap for tennis shoes Mm -hmm. but then when I was about 15 I started out um, on eBay I was a paper boy at the time and you know was making some money and then I bought a fountain pen on eBay and um, was in, in Germany as a student, you write with fountain pens. And I got it. I wasn't sure um, it was any better, so I sold it. I made twice the money, and it was like, wait a second. Hmm. I make a lot more money here than being a paper boy. So I started a, a fountain pen business. I was buying fountain pens. I was selling them. And it was great. I probably made, in total, over the time, spent $120,000, which wow. was a lot of money. Yeah. Um, I also grew a fountain pen collection, and that was kind of my first business endeavor. I had to stop it when I went to law school, but because um, I had Montblanc fountain pens, they had Montblanc cufflinks. And so I got a pair of cufflinks with a fountain pen, and I was like, oh, now I need a shirt for it. And I didn't have one, ever heard of it. Did some research and found out their shirts, and that was my start into classic men's clothing. So without fountain pens, I would have maybe gotten the entrance into clothing much later. So that also starts you on like the vintage route, right? Because you're looking at fountain pens from certain years and then Mont Blanc. And because I think when I think of you and the channel, I think of like encyclopedia for menswear stuff. And it's yeah. like that kind of, and I also think vintage too. I know you're, you're very into vintage clothing as well. And so. Exactly. And you know, vintage was, I, I like the styling of it, right? And uh, the first book I had was Gentleman from Bernhard Rötzl, who's a German author. It's also translated in English, so you can check it out. And then I got like Dressing the Man, right? Mm-hmm. So classic men's style. A lot of 30 inspiration. And frankly, I didn't have much money. I mean, I made money with the fountain pens, right? So that was good. But um, my dad was always very value conscious. And so that's definitely something I learned. I can make a lot with a little. Mm-hmm. And so um, when I went to Munich and did a, like a civil service, I, yeah, bought stuff. And since it was selling and buying on eBay for fountain pens, I was doing the same with clothing. I would find something nice, I would buy it and transition it and build a wardrobe that way. Right. Hmm. 
so then so do you go into how far into the law profession do you go are you a law clerk and then you start to practice or do you not make it that far no in 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 german it's a little different it's a very long drawn out process so you go to school i did that and then you take the first bar exam and usually there's a two-year period and you take a second i didn't do that but in the u.s i got this masters of law which entitles me to take the bar exam in new york in dc and in california um i took it in new york just because that's what everyone did and it's kind of a prestigious thing for many people but I didn't take any prep courses and I didn't study and I, I failed. So, <laughs> but oh, it was yeah. like, I just did it. It was like, whatever. Um, I remember it was like in Buffalo, New York and during the break, you know, people would be nervous and like reading up and I would go to the Buffalo town hall, which was this cool art deco building and just take a tour. So I didn't take it that seriously. <laughs> you really weren't committed to no, at, not at all. I knew I did not want to be in law yeah. at all. Like it, I did internships and I realized, as a lawyer, you always have to work and account for your life in six minute increments. And that is not me. I wanted to build something and make money if I don't work. Mm-hmm. And that's not law for you. Mm-hmm. It's like the opposite. You're like literally trading your time for money. Exactly. And yeah. it's like once you're a partner, you actually even work more. It's not like it gets less. Yeah. And that was not a career path I wanted to pursue. You just get a nicer office and a bigger car. Exactly. And you yeah. work more and you <laughs> see your family less. And I, you know, I just realized wherever I did things as an intern, I, in the beginning, you're kind of motivated, but then that dropped quickly because I simply did not have the motivation. I think for me, I, I felt inherently I need to be in business for myself because when I work for someone else, I would always think, well, you do this. Why don't you do it for yourself and make more money? Right. That, mm-hmm. That's just my personality. Mm-hmm. So when did you start Gentleman's Gazette officially? It was in February of 2010, and um, I came to the U.S. in 20, 2009, finished my studies. We got married on New Year's Eve. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then at that time, there were fewer immigrants who wanted a green card, and there were more resources. So it everything was a little faster, but it still took three, four months to get this um, work permit. And then the green card was like nine months. But in the meantime, you're not allowed to work. So it was like, for the first time in my adult life, I have time on my hand. What do I do? Mm-hmm. And classic men's clothing had been my hobby. And I thought I knew it better than others. So I just was like, okay, I got to do it. Just thinking that I know more is not cool. And then by the time the work permit rolled around, we had our first advertiser. So I was like, okay, how long is it going to take to make $100,000 as a blogger? Because in 2010, blogging was relatively new. Mm. And um, so I was like, okay, let's do that. It was like you and Dan Trapanier, like style blogging. Yeah, and I think mm-hmm. um, Will Will Burke from A Suitable Wardrobe, um, oh, yeah. he was even first. And then there was, I think, Simon Crompton was mm-hmm. also first. first, But it was a small space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And who, who was the first advertiser? It was actually a Kirby Allison's hanger project. Oh yeah. Yeah, he 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 came out. He reached out to us, and it it was pretty nice. And then, after a few months, he was like, "Oh, I really want a, a long term contract." And was like, "Great!" And so we sent all that long term contract. And a few months in, he just stopped paying. And was like, "Dude, what's going on?" It was like, "Oh, I just don't want to pay anymore." It was like, "What is that?" Right and. I, that's when I realized, you know, in the beginning, I just scaled up and thought, oh, I want advertiser. If I can get 10 advertisers, you know, 
easy peasy, right? Mm -hmm. And then I realized, oh, people don't do what they say they do. And even though I went to law school, I know that usually when you're involved in a lawsuit, you lose. Mm -hmm. So the only way to win is not to be involved in it. Mm -hmm. And so rather than kind of focusing my energy on going after him, I just decided to let it go and yeah, focus on growing my business. And you know, later I talked to like Antonio Centeno from Real Men Real Style and uh, was the same thing there. He worked with Curry Allison and he just stopped paying, right? And so it's like, it's a pattern, it's the person, it's not me, let's move on. Let's focus on what makes me money Mm. rather than in German we say crying about spilt milk. Yeah, after that comes from. <laughs> yeah. So you were you were doing all the writing then at that point, and you weren't doing any like photography or video back then. Um, actually, we, we were. Yes, I was doing all the writing. Mm-hmm. We did take some pictures. I bought a, like a point and shoot. We do stuff. We would even kind of dabble in video, you know, because you. I always felt you could see clothing better. Sometimes you take a picture and people say, "Oh, the suit doesn't fit you," and then you shoot a video and they're like, "Oh, oh, take it back." Yeah, it's all good. Because you don't just stand there; you move around and exactly. Yeah. And at the time, you know, I, I saw there was like Aaron Marino was out there with his mm-hmm. videos. Was pretty much the only one, and I, I remember just looking at the video and was like, "Oh my God, this guy has his laptop crooked on his bed," and you know, it's like just all low production quality. <laughs> And, and I just said to myself, oh, you know, I'm, we are more of a high-quality brand. Like, either I do it right or I don't do it at all. Yeah. Now, looking back, it would have been smarter to just start filming video. I would have learned so much more. And we probably today would have 10 times as many views or more. But, you know, mm-hmm. that's live and learn, right? You can't just go back and turn back time. But you can analyze and see what did I do. And yeah. I learned just don't be afraid to do things. And don't think you have to theorize about it and, and prepare them. And because um, you learn so much along the way yeah. and you can't make that up in theory. I feel like I hear that from a lot of guys. They're like, what camera should I buy? What microphone should I buy? Like this. And it's like, use your phone. Start right now. Exactly. Yeah. You, yeah. Use, use what you have and then you, you, you really feel it out what actually works. Yeah. And you, you get feedback too, like on YouTube. You know, they're telling you, oh, your microphone is shit. Yeah. And you're like... Well, actually, it's not the microphone, maybe the editing, but you, you just, yeah. you realize it, right? Most people on YouTube, they say something because they don't like something. Yeah. Their conclusion is not right, but it points you in the right direction. Yeah, and if, and if one person or even two people are saying it, probably a lot of people are thinking it, you know, so it's, it's worth taking into consideration. And, yeah, and as a rule of thumb, it's like when one or two people are saying it is one thing, but when you have 20, it's like, yeah, time to time to do something. Yeah, so, so you built Gentleman's Gazette into you know, a, a lucrative digital media company, basically. And then when did Fort Belvedere come along? Yeah, actually, the plan was to be like Huffington Post and se- uh-huh. create content, sell ads. The reason we did that is we didn't have money. We were, I was a poor immigrant. Um, my wife was going to business school and it wasn't money really laying around. So we started with 300 bucks and we did that. Then about one or two years in, people started asking, oh, where did you get this? And I'd say, flea market in Vienna, and that's not helpful. So mm-hmm. we realized, well, maybe we should just make these products, right? And my wife was a little hesitant because it's keeping stock inventory. It's not easy. It, you need cash. And um, But yeah, we built it up to that. And then, of course, you know, we had never done this before. So you have the warehousing component. You have the product component 
the web shop component. And at the time, Shopify was really just in its infancy. Mm -hmm. Like no one knew if that would really be taking off. Even like WordPress wasn't wasn't decided that, that WordPress is gonna take off. There was like Drupal and other stuff. Squarespace wasn't around. Mm -hmm. So yeah, lot lot to learn. And when was that? Like what year? I think 2011, 2012. Okay. It took us, I think, from like first inception of what brand to actual selling. I it was like 2012 or 2013 when we started selling. I think. Okay. I think 2013. And did that change? What what impacted Fort Belvedere starting to get some traction have on Gentleman's Gazette? Like, did Gentleman's Gazette become very clearly a marketing vehicle for Fort Belvedere, or do you see them as two separate things, or how does that work? Well, you know, at first it started out me writing right it was about growing the site and i thought well if all these people are asking me and i'm creating a quality product people will just come and buy it right big mistake so i we had a lot of traffic but we started our products but it wasn't like a home run success we, we would get orders sometimes you know but then there was a day there was no order and i had thought well you know Others don't have that website traffic. They don't have a community, so it's hard for them. But for me, it's different because we have all these people behind it. Mm -hmm. So then I realized, okay, we have to kind of explain to people what are we doing here, wh why our products are different. But ultimately, if you look at the site and the content and the ratio, the main focus of what we always do is we want to help men to dress better and improve. So. We have a heavy focus on clothing, but we realized that if we just have cheap salesy type QVC videos, mm -hmm. that's not who we are. That's not who we want to be. And frankly, you know, I've been in a position where I didn't have much money. So I'm, I'm seeing it as we want to attract people, you know, that are students or family fathers where they have to pay for kids in college or people who have just money to burn in our investment bankers. It's more about the shared interest and how we can help them and then the sales will follow. I was never a fan of hard sell, and I, I think of Gentleman's Gazette being closely connected to Gentleman's Gazette, and yes, we mention products when we have them, but when it works. And if you go through articles, even today, like there is most articles doesn't don't even have a reference to Fort Belvedere mm -hmm. directly, mm -hmm. um, because that's not the topic that we're writing about. Yeah, and I feel like it's, it's easy to do to not do a hard sell because, you know, if you're doing a post on how to wear a brown tie and you guys sell brown ties, you don't have to sell it really. You just say, hey, the one we're using as an example is from Fort Belvedere, you know? Exactly. And show, show, not just tell. At the same time, you know, we, we do a whole series about suits and shirts and shoes and we sell none of that, you know? Mm -hmm. So what, what's, speaking of which, I mean, what's in the future for Fort Belvedere? beyond accessories or are you sticking with mostly accessories? Well, one of the reasons we start with accessories was, was money, right? I mean, ideally, everyone who wants to start a brand wants to have a, like a full-fledged clothing brand mm -hmm. and, and we're no different. The problem with that is that, first of all, you need to invest a lot of money to create it and if it, it fails, you may go bankrupt. So we didn't want to go down that path. Mm -hmm. Then second of all, I like custom clothing, right? I don't want to sell people ready-to-wear clothing if I'm not convinced it's a perfect fit. Mm -hmm. So that was one challenge. Third, um, returns. When you have things with lots of sizes 
you have lots of opportunities for returns. Now you need to bake that into your cost, mm -hmm. which means the price goes up. And so the advantage for us with accessories was that we could get the quality that we wanted, but we didn't have to spend, you know, a thousand dollar per unit to, to keep them in stock. It mm -hmm. was a lower cost. So the barriers of entry for us were better. And there were items that had fewer sizes, which mean which meant fewer returns. And so that was just it made sense. Plus, um, the things that I couldn't find oftentimes were just um, things like a pocket square, right? Or it was like a pocket square, you can really change your outfit. Or mm -hmm. there was a pair of gloves that I mentioned earlier mm -hmm. was like, yeah, I cannot find gloves in burgundy that are nice and elegant. I can find chunky brown and black gloves in stiff leather, mm -hmm. but that's not what I want. And we very quickly realized that we are small. We could never compete with Amazon or Walmart or Target for that matter. And we never wanted to. I was always attracted to high quality, high end. Mm -hmm. So if we were to do something, it had to be that. And it also made sense because then it would be harder to, to copy. Mm -hmm. I know I like to think of Fort Belvedere as like the anti-Zara. It's like their model is just sell a ton of stuff cheaply, make it fast, turn it fast. But Fort Belvedere, it's like you probably don't turn your line over a whole lot. You have styles that are consistent and then you're able to keep those things and, and make them high quality, but, but they also carry a higher price because you are making a quality product. Yeah, that's a good comparison, I think. And there's nothing wrong with a, a Zara business model. And there are a lot of people in the world and it's, it's all legitimate. It's just not something that I'm personally interested in. And um, it, it works well for us. And you're quite right. We, you know, we, we preach classic style. That means you can buy a tie and ideally you can wear them 20 years down the line. I still have the ties that I bought as a 15 year old. You know, mm -hmm. I still have the pocket squares. I have the suits. Like I'm not throwing anything away. It's yeah. still present. It's part of my style. And that's what we're selling now that aligns with a business in the sense that if we create a video and photos and everything, yeah, we can reuse that at the same time styles change. So, you know, every three, four years, you'll change the photography, you'll, you'll do things, sure, but uh, we'll still sell the Navy grenadine tie or, you know, the red knit tie that that's a staple. Yeah. So you, you kind of apply that same concept to your content where you want it to be somewhat evergreen as much as it can be, even though obviously fashion changes. And it wasn't always like that. You know, in the beginning, I, there was a time when I thought, wow, in order to compete, I really have to write a lot. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, you know, little noteworthy sections and what was happening. And But I could feel that if I would continue down that path, I'd probably get a burnout. And um, so then I took a step back and said, you know, if I create something, I want it to be the best piece of content on that topic online. Yeah. And I, I got interested in SEO too, and it was interesting to look at Google and what they were looking at. And even then they had algorithm changes. But I took, again, a step back and said, okay, if Google wants me to create useful, valuable content for people, and that's what I provide, no matter what the algorithm changes, we will never get penalized. And I don't have to go back and work on that. I can work on new content. Mm -hmm. But uh, ideally, yes, I wanted to create one piece, get a thousand people on it. And do that a thousand times so I get a million page views a day obviously it's not like that yeah. <laughs> and it's not that easy but the concept is definitely something that that drives us yeah. as a company yeah I totally agree so we have a rapid-fire session which is quick one-word answers Are you ready for that uh 
Yes. Okay. Uh, so Oxfords or Brogues? Oxfords. Morning shower or evening shower? Morning shower. Cardio or lifting? Cardio. Chinos, jeans, or trousers? That's a hard one. I'd say trousers. Okay. And uh, spring, summer style or fall, winter style? I like fall, winter. I think that's the stylish guy answer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, notch lapels or peak lapels? I have both. I like peak because they're more special. Yeah. Loafers or sneakers? Loafers. And if you're getting in the shower and you like got to pump yourself up for the day, what song are you playing? Uh, no song. No song? No song. Sound no like. song in the music. <laughs> I'll just take a shower. That's it. I thought it'd be like classical or something, like some, <laughs> some epic piece. <laughs> Rammstein. No, yeah, no. Like what, do you, what do you listen to? I don't even know what your musical preferences are. You know, frankly, I like to listen to music, but I rarely have the initiative to just go out and put something on. If I listen to stuff or like acoustical things, I like classical music. We go to concerts. But I also like, you know, Queen, Radiohead, nice. or... Uh, the tallest man on earth like whatever i find that that resonates with me mm-hmm. i i listen to but eclectic uh, yes nice that's great that's what i would expect <laughs> so Raphael, thank you for coming on the button up podcast thanks, thanks for having me telling your story and uh, everybody check out fort belvedere and i think everybody should know the gentleman's gazette all right well thanks guys yeah thank you, thank you. take care man Thank you for listening to the Buttoned Up Podcast, a collaboration between John Shanahan of The Cavalier and Brock McGough of Modest Man, and we will see you next week.